Hey everyone, and welcome to Bury the Hatchet. I'm your host, Brian Enstein. You know, tackling touchy subjects in the right way is a special skill, and frankly, not everybody has it. But the inability to understand people we disagree with is tearing apart our communities, our friendships, and our families. But we can do better. We must do better. If you're ready to talk about hard things without the hard feelings, join me as we rediscover the lost arts of listening and reconciliation. Join me as we learn to bury the hatchet. Thanks for being here, everyone. Um, before we jump into the episode proper, um, I I feel like I owe you all an apology, um, or at least something of an explanation. Uh, it, you see, it, uh, so I'm in the last semester of my undergrad, and I've also got two kids under the age of three. So it shouldn't be a surprise, I guess, that I don't always have the time to devote to planning, recording, editing, and publishing this podcast. Um, if you've been paying attention, you know that it's been a couple of months already since her last episode. Um, but, you know, it, you guys stick with us, um, and you continue to tune in and enjoy the show. You know, when you guys listen in, and I can see those downloads ticking up week after week, um, you know, that that keeps me going. Uh, which reminds me, um, and I've been meaning to do this for for a while, actually. Um, when uh, so when when I log into to Buzzsprout, which is the the website that I use to to host this podcast, um, I can see, you know, I get little download metrics. You know how many how many people have listened in this last week, and um, you know where they're from. Don't worry, I don't see like your address or anything, but it'll be like, oh, you know, seven people in Des Moines, Iowa, have downloaded recently, or look, there's you know, 10 people in Seattle that are listening in this week, you know, little things like that. And, you know, from the very beginning of of this show, um, I was surprised, actually, to see that uh, people in France were were listening in. And I, I don't know who you are. I don't know um, if it's even one person, but I just I, I, I feel like there must be one person in uh, in the town of Clichy in France, who has listened into to every episode. Um, again, I don't know if you're one person or if you're a bunch of people, but whoever you are, um, I just want to say thank you. Um, it, uh, you know, it it just warms my heart to see that um, that you that you guys are are tuning in. Um, it is just little things like that that make it possible uh, for me to keep going um, and to. To keep going and just keep alive this vision that we have of burying our hatchets and pursuing wisdom together. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of you. And with that, let's jump right in. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Bury the Hatchet. We have something uh, very special here in store for you. Uh, if you remember, uh, some time ago, I uh, I brought on our new co-host, uh, a good friend of mine, Eric Martinez, and you know it it occurred to me that uh, you guys don't really know Eric. Um, never really gave Eric a, a chance to to introduce himself to you guys. So 
um, we were we were sort of tossing around the idea of what uh, what topics we wanted to to tackle today, and uh, Eric brought up the excellent idea of let's uh, let's talk about poverty and sort of the the human side of that. Um, so as, as part of that, I will actually just go ahead and shut up and let's give Eric a chance to uh, introduce himself and tell tell his story. Yeah, so uh, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate it. I always uh, enjoy having these conversations with you. And yeah, um, uh, so I guess you, do you want to just uh, start with the question or just, uh, I don't know, where should we start? Yeah, well, let's just start with where where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Okay, so I was born in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, it's been quite a ride. Um, it was fun seeing, uh, just growing up here and, uh, it's just been a really, really crazy, um, experience coming back after college and just leaving for over five years. I, I left Virginia for five years, um, due to school and, and the mission I served. Um, and just coming back has been crazy. Just seeing how everything's changed and how just like more populated things are, how more, how more, how much more like crazy and, and and traffic is it's 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 i thought it was bad before but coming back i'm just like uh this is awful so i i don't i don't enjoy it as much as i did when i was um when i was when i was younger so what what do you think happened during those those years that you were gone that sort of gave you that uh, that different perspective when you came back because i mean i i i, I sort of understand a little bit of what that's like. I mean, I go back to the town that I grew up in now and it's like having spent years away from it and seeing how things are in different places, you know, you, you like you, you, you just sort of see it through different eyes, I guess. So like, what, what do you think changed for you while you were gone and, and why do you think that happened? Oh man. So I think uh, the first thing that came to my mind and I think is the major reason for a lot of uh, these towns, small cities that are developed, that are, are in development or have developed is uh, gentrification. Um, I think that's been the biggest thing that I've seen just going back to to Arlington, just driving around, just going back to the neighborhoods where I used to live and just seeing how completely like different it is and the and people you see. I mean, like, I'll, 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 give, I'll give an example. So I used to live in these apartments. Um, they weren't the best. And uh, in that neighborhood, mostly, you'll see mostly Hispanics, uh some some african americans uh very very little though um some uh Ethiop- well, i guess yeah african americans some some asian people but it was like the majority was hispanics there were some white people here and there but there was it, there were barely any white people and um it it like little by little as i was growing up you know through middle school high school high school is where things started really developing in 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 arlington and started like pricing started going up new condos townhouses like apartments there was just building like crazy and it it's it's sad because a lot of people that i knew had to move you know an hour away because i was the cheapest that they can find and Plus, most of these people that that come from from their countries, they're making minimum wage, so they couldn't afford like a thousand five hundred, thousand two hundred. Uh, rent back then was like eight hundred dollars, and you lived well. 
um, in the apartments that we lived in were like really nice. Um, which is funny because, you know, I grew up in an, an impoverished uh, environment. And uh, anyways, it's I, I want to say gentrification is the biggest factor into all this. A lot of the places where I've been, again, um, it's just they're more developed. Uh, they're more, more uh, Caucasians, a lot more than there were before. Uh, a lot of high-end stuff, you know, it's that's rising in, in rent and just the cost of living in general just freaking went through the roof. And uh, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing I saw. Could you just explain real quickly for the audience what, what gentrification means? So to my to, to my knowledge, it's uh, I don't think this is the exact definition, but the way I view it is when you have uh, a certain group of people coming into a certain area or moving into a certain area. Uh, higher, I don't want to say higher class, I guess, or like they're just higher income earners and because they have more to spend, uh, the area that they move into tends to go up in price, um, causing, and you know, it's, it's a headache for those who are not making as much because then it's, it's all business. If there's an apartment complex that's able to charge a thousand, two hundred, a thousand five hundred, uh, for monthly rent and you have people that are moving in that are able to pay that. I mean, they're going to, they're either going to either raise their rent or, you know, and there's uh, like, again, that or some company or whatever might come in and offer that apartment complex, the owner, just uh, a deal. If they can just buy the land and they just kick everybody out and build some condos or whatever. But I, 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 again, I don't think that's the exact definition, but that's the way I view it. Um, but if you want, you can look it up and just read it uh, for us. Sure. Yeah. So I was just, I was just looking at it here, actually. Um, according to uh, Oxford, the the definition is the process of renovating and improving a house or district so that it conforms to middle-class taste. Um, also the process of making a person or activity more refined or polite. Um, so I mean, just, just based on, I mean, uh, that's what Oxford says. So just based, just based on what you've been talking about, um, you know, it, it sounds like it's mostly an issue of displacement. Um, you know, the, for whatever reason, a particular neighborhood or a particular, uh, parcel of land, um, just as, as time goes on and as the, the economics of the neighborhood changes, um, that land starts to become more valuable. So people want to purchase it. They want to renovate it. They want to, you know, quote unquote, upgrade or update it into something that they can, you know, they can charge more for it. It's economically more valuable. And uh, like you were talking about the rent, right? You know, you, you, you change the building so that it's, a, it's something that people are willing to pay a little more for, um, but then, of course, like you said, that has this, the effect of displacing all of those people who might have been living there before who can't pay those higher rates. So now they have to go somewhere else. Um, and you said that that's, that that's mostly what you've been seeing in your in your in your hometown in Arlington. Yeah, it's I mean, and I know this might sound bad, but when I when I hear the word gentrification, I always think about like white people. And I always think about them taking over because, I mean, I go back to Arlington and a, a huge percentage percentage of people that I see on the streets, walking around in restaurants are, 
white people. I mean, it's really di- it's it, it is a diverse city. It's really diverse, really crazy. That is, but there's just areas where the uh, where the, the the places where I used to live that got like you said, um, <laughs> uh, redeveloped or whatever, uh, for I guess a better living. <laughs> um, those areas is just there was mostly just white people moving into those areas before I ended up leaving. So does, does your family still live in the same neighborhood? No. So my, so my mom, I guess just me and my family, like we really enjoyed living in Arlington. It was really nice. Like it's, um, but we eventually had to move out of Arlington just cause it was getting crazy expensive. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we had to move out. So we actually moved to a different city that's right across um, Arlington. It's like the other side of Arlington. That's a city that is right next to it. Um, but I'm I'm actually seeing the same thing happen in that city slowly. Um, there's a lot. There was a, when when we when we first moved in there, there was a lot a lot of Hispanic people. It wasn't the best area. Um, so this happening doesn't really bother me. But it does bother me at the same time because I know that eventually all this redevelopment that's going on where my mom is living right now is going to catch up. And it's already like hurting her right now just because of the cost of rent. It went up by $250, almost $300 so far since we moved in. And for someone who's get, earning minimum wage, I mean, that's insane. That's a lot. Uh, so anyways, but yeah, I'm slowly seeing some gentrification going on in that area, in that city. Again... It's not a bad thing just because the area was bad when we moved in there and it is getting a little better. It's still not great, but I mean, we're seeing a lot more people of more, again, more white people moving into the city uh, because at first it was just a lot of uh, Hispanic, some black people, but it's just been a lot of white people that we've been, I've been seeing a lot more lately. And the, I've just been seeing all around how it's just being redeveloped, all this construction going on and yeah, man, I can go on for days. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up ranting, but yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's backpedal just a little bit. Um, let's let's go ahead and start with your your childhood, and I don't, I'm gonna start sounding like a shrink right now, but I'm really just trying to get get uh, get your story out. Um, yeah. it's okay. This can be therape- uh, therapeutic. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, right? And hopefully it's not uh, not upsetting too much. Because um, uh, you, you said that, it, you know, growing up, the neighborhood that you were in wasn't that great. Um, and it was kind of hard. Uh, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, what sort of things did you see? What did you experience? Um, I guess mostly just kind of tell us your life story for a bit. And, and the, I guess the, the story of, of your parents, too, and how you how you ended up there. Because your, your parents aren't your parents are Hispanic, right? Your parents were yeah, yeah, born, born in Virginia. Yeah. So I guess tell us, tell us a little bit about how you ended up there um, and what effect growing up there had on you um, as, as a child and, and as a teenager. Okay. So there's a lot, I mean, a lot, um, but I guess I'm just going to kind of try to keep it a little simple because there's a, some stuff that's kind of personal. Um, not that I don't mind sharing it, it's, it's crazy. So basically, uh, my parents migrated from El Salvador uh, in the early '90s, late '80s. I'm not. I don't remember. Um, but I, I want to think. I, I want to say it's like 1989. 
so my dad came here first and then my mom came. She they both migrated here and they ended up in Arlington of all places. Out of all places, they ended up in Arlington, Virginia. Um Did they ever tell you why? No. I my mom so I asked my mom, I'm like, well, out of all the places, why'd you come through Arlington? And she just said she doesn't know. She said that uh she was just led here. Like my dad, I don't, so I don't know my dad's side of the story because he left when I was uh, in middle school and I really don't have any, I've never really bonded with him or talked to him about any of this stuff. So his side of the story, I don't know, but I asked my mom and she just said she was just led here, like in Arlington. Like it was, she, she said it was like really weird. Like she just, she got to Texas and, and she didn't know where to go. And um, she just felt like to just keep going East Uh and she ended up in Arlington, and yeah, I mean, she's she's loved Arlington since she's gotten here, and she's enjoyed being here. Um, but she just said that she was led here. That's that's her. That was her response. I was like, huh, that's that's really weird. Huh. So were were your parents together in El Salvador, or, and then they left together? Or did they meet here in the states? So, so from what, what my mom has told me, uh, my dad left first. My dad got here first. Um, and so um, that's one of, that was one of the other reasons I think why my mom came to Arlington was because my, my dad was around this area. I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure where the heck he was. I'm not sure if my mom met my dad in Texas when my mom got here. But anyways, my dad got here a year before my mom did. Um, and then after a year, my mom came to United States and, uh, my mom and dad, I guess they both ended up in Arlington. Um, and so that's, that's where I was born. So, so, I mean, so, so you were born, you were born in Arlington. Yeah. Um, did they, did either your mom or your dad ever tell you why they decided to leave El Salvador? That's a big yeah. change. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it was, uh, so I think it was in the eighties, there was a civil war in El Salvador. Oh, it, it was a really, good reason. <laughs> yeah. It was really bad. Um, and it's, it was just crazy. Like I read up on it and it's just really bad. Like there was curfews and, military was patrolling the streets every night and if you were caught outside after six my mom would tell me these crazy stories man uh like how she almost got killed like a couple times because she was caught outside and like she i don't my mom has been guided or protected by by heavenly father by god so many times like it's when you hear her story you can just tell that someone something uh was protecting her everywhere she went because she told me these crazy stories where she almost got killed a couple times uh due to curfew and gang violence and just people shooting like just shootouts in the middle of the streets uh during the during that time but yeah that, wow. was, the reason why, that, that was the reason why they came they came to or migrated to the united states was because of the civil war wow so just just really trying to go anywhere where that doesn't happen <laughs> yeah yep man <laughs> all right so you so they the somehow by the the hand of God or karma or somehow wind up in in Arlington and then and then you were born there, um, yeah. And so what? I mean, obviously, as as a child, you know, where you grew up is where you grew up, and you don't really have any outside experience. But looking back on it now, um, kind of describe for us, you know, what what was your childhood like growing up, um, especially growing up with without your dad for most of your life, and kind of what what affected that environment both in your in your community and in your home like how, how did that affect you so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna complain about my early childhood like when i was in elementary school um sure. elementary school age uh for the most part my mom and my dad were together during that time um 
and you know, I was blessed to just at least you know experience some some time with my both my parents um, together. And my dad, like it was, you know, I didn't have everything I wanted. I barely had any clothes. Um, I would always have hand me downs or have stuff from like uh, the thrift store, and all none of this stuff really fit me. <laughs> Gotta love like, thrift stores, man. Never, never, never fit me, man. Never fit me. And so I think the hardest thing for me, honestly, during my elementary school age or years was uh, being accepted. Um, and so here's like the blessing and the curse. Being raised in Arlington, which was, is predominantly white and was predominantly white back then, predominantly white. Uh, you know, I went to I went to this uh, elementary school, which I don't know if I should name or not, but Anyways, the, you know, it wasn't the best, like, it was, it was good, but, you know, I had a rough time making friends. Um, I would get made fun of and bullied because I was a little, I wouldn't say overweight. I mean, I was chubby, but I wasn't overweight. Um, I never had, I had like hand-me-downs thrift thrift store clothes and everybody, most of the people in, in my class were white. Most of them had freaking parents that were middle class or high class or whatever they were and they had clothes that you know fit them and they were able to afford all this stuff and uh so i think that was a really hard part about going to this to this school in arlington was because everybody was so i guess well off you know most Mm -hmm. people most people there was i wasn't the only there was like mm, a handful about 10 Uh, you can count them out you can just count them like 10 uh students that were, I guess, in my situation, uh, give or take a little, like here and there, um, where we struggled. Like, you know, our parents were poor. We couldn't buy clothes. We couldn't shower every day. We, you know, it's, we, there were some other students that, that I met. They, they had a harder time than I did. Um, and anyway, so I think that was the hardest thing is just making friends, finding people to speak, or like just to be accepted. Um, that was the hardest thing for me, uh, during that time. But, uh, besides that, like my, the, the relationship I had in, with my family at that time was great. I mean, every Friday, I remember this every Friday, my dad would always order pizza every Friday. And it was like a party every Friday. And it was awesome. Me and my siblings would enjoy it. And it was like, basically, it was like moments that I can remember now and just like smile about it. Um, and then it wasn't until I got into elementary school, no, not, not elementary, middle school, where things kind of went south uh, or just got worse, I guess, just because on top of being impoverished, my dad ended up leaving my mom. And people don't understand that it's hard. The reason, One of the reasons why it's hard to get out of poverty is because of something like this, for example. My dad left, so my mom barely could pay rent herself right mm-hmm. that will be paid by my mom and dad um and so i had to step up i had to take responsibilities that my dad had that he just dumped and left on top of me and me being the oldest i had to take it i didn't really have a choice and be like no no i'm not gonna do that i'm not gonna go i'm not gonna be working to pay rent. like i started working when I was 13 you know under the table uh, and, and legally, like, you know, put, you know, filling out the application and stuff, like to be able to help my mom, at least with food or at least to pay something, you know? And so that's, that's when things start, started getting a little hard. 
um, my siblings were the ones that were affected the most during this time. And this was back in, I want to say like 2006, 2006-ish. Uh, it was hard, like for them. I I honestly, you know, I again, this is like a blessing and a curse. Uh, I was, because of what how how things happened and how quick it happened, I didn't have time to reflect on what what just happened and what my dad just did. So I had to, you know, just step up and, and start working and helping my mom. I, I never had time to reflect and, 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 and cry or feel pain for what might, what happened. Um, but yeah, just, just during that time, during my middle school years, it was, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, that's also when I started getting into drugs, a lot of drugs, doing a lot of crazy stuff. Um, let me let me just just ask you real quick um and and thank you for sharing that by the way um i know that's it it, it you know like you said it 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 can be a a personal thing and i certainly don't want you to feel like i'm prying or anything but let me just ask you real quick um you you mentioned drugs um can you just talk a little bit about like what was the what was the appeal like what did what did drugs do for you at this time? Cause I know, I, I know there, there are plenty of, I mean, there's plenty of people who, who have done or continue to do drugs and there's plenty of people who don't and, and never have. And so just, just for the sake of understanding, like obviously it did something for you or you wouldn't have done it. Like what at this like super stressful period in your life, like what, what was the, what, what was the appeal? What did it do for you? So, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Um, because, so this is what happened. And this is, so this is, I guess, a lesson for anybody that's going to listen to this podcast. And this is just kind of my point of view and my experience and what I feel is one of the reasons why people join gangs. People always ask, why would you join a gang? Why, 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 whatever. Because so basically after my parents split, I started hanging out with, I guess, the wrong group of people. Um, and those group of people ended up being gang members. So one of the reasons that I learned why young men or sometimes women join gangs is because they want that feeling of a family. And gangs do a good job at imitating that feeling. You, I mean, I just came from my, my dad. My, my dad just left. My mom's heartbroken. She was a mess. Uh, I didn't have that 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 love from both parents and it was hard for me and you know i was looking for it i mean i i it hurt like i didn't have those nice awesome fridays like i did before when it would be the whole family would just order takeout or go to a buffet or whatever so um that was one of the reasons why i, I joined the gang um was because of that because i i felt like i was accepted and i felt like i had a family um, yeah and what and what a, what a critical time for this to happen to you because i know <laughs> I mean, for, for so many, I mean, middle school is rough on everybody, but I mean, for so many kids going through that, I mean, it's, it's a bit cliche, but I mean, there really are so many things, you know, changing in you personally and the way your brain works and the way your body works and the way your relationships with other people work. And I mean, for so many of those kids, like the way they deal with it is, you know, school might be hard and maybe I don't fit in there, but 
you know, I've got a family or I've got, you know, a, a, another close circle of friends where like, I can, I can belong here, you know, I belong here. And, and then for you, like right at this critical moment, you had this, this breakup of your family <laughs> and all of a sudden that like that support and that, that safe, happy place where you were accepted was all of a sudden just like yanked out from under you for reasons that had nothing to do with you. Yeah. Uh, it's so, yeah. So anyways, that happened. Um, and that it was, it was through them that I started, uh, doing drugs. Um, and you know, and I felt good and I, I did it just cause it was like, you know, what they were doing and because, you know, I didn't mind the feeling of it. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, from time to time. And so, you know, I didn't oppose it. I was like, okay, like, and like you said, I was still growing up. I didn't know any better. And so that's what led me to, to, I guess my drug use um, was that. So, I mean, obviously at some point things started to change for you. Cause you look at this now as, you know, like you said, I was young, I didn't know any better. Um, so what, I guess, what kind of changed things for you? Um, I wish I could. I know say that's that. a that's a loaded question, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just don't know where to, to where to start. Um, so I guess just like I wish I would have uh, changed sooner than later. This this actually uh, lasted for about six years. Um, so middle school is when I started, you know, getting involved with gangs and drugs, and. Um, started making actual friends in school uh, that were also into the same things that I was not, not just like gang members or other kids that were in gangs, but other kids that, you know, were doing drugs. Um, but I was always that one kid, you know, and this is, I'll, I'll, I'll say this later towards the end. Cause it doesn't have nothing to do with it. But like, anyway, so I was, I was like one of the few kids in, uh, in middle school that was, was doing drugs. And so this lasted, so my first two, my two years, my last two years in middle school, I was doing drugs. Um, and then they continued and I started getting heavier and heavier into it in high school. And um, it lasted up until, I guess, 11th grade. Um, and then after that, when I got to, to, to my, when I was in, uh, what is it, junior, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a junior is when I started kind of getting just tired of it. I was tired of drinking. I was tired of smoking. I was tired of doing all these things, and it just got it, it got repetitive. And I just kind of I didn't find the joy in it anymore. And so, come my senior year is when I actually you know put my foot down. I started getting my crap together. I started going to all my classes, uh, and I was doing really well, man. Like really well. I was myself. I was impressed. My the, once my senior year started, I was clean for to actually a little longer i guess like like three months four months i was going to all my classes straight for two months straight uh and i was just like a different whole different person man because i was just so tired of it and just um and then i i think i i didn't relapse but i i i met a, a friend of mine who is who wasn't a gang member i the gang part i think i ended up leaving when i was in sophomore junior just because most of the people that i did uh hang out with and that were there when i joined most of them got deported or got sent to jail and again this is where gentrification comes in a lot of those places a lot of those people that i met lived in this area that got redeveloped everybody that lived there had to move out i mean it was it was a major change it was like day it was like day and night 
And so anyway, so basically everybody that I met that was in that gang, they just all vanished, and um, which was a good thing for me. And so I, uh, so I was just like, you know what? I, it was it was a blessing because then I didn't have to worry about that. I didn't have to worry about any retaliate. I don't know. I just didn't have to really worry about that. And so I, I kind of just pushed that to the side and forgot about it. And uh, yeah, because anyway. I know I know for for a lot of people in that situation, just deciding to walk away from a gang is not that simple. <laughs> no, it's not. And I always, I always, I would always read about it, hear about it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not that, it's not that simple. Like, Hey, I'm going to leave. Um, so that's that. Uh, so my senior year, I started hanging out with a friend again and he was a cool kid. Um, he would drink and smoke and, you know, and, I would do it from on and on and off, like so. I kind of, I kind of did relapse, um, but it wasn't as bad. It wasn't bad. I wasn't doing it every day. It was more of a casual thing, um, and it was just on and off. Like I never did it as much um, as I did when I was in and middle school and early high school years. And and then after after high school, I mean, I started losing contact with a lot of people and. I think one of the other reasons that uh, I got fed up with 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 drugs uh, was that no one, my freshman, uh, sophomore, junior year, those three years, I was like known in school for smoking pot, and I would always be inviting people just because I, I I wanted to socialize, I wanted to make friends, and so I would always invite people, and people would always like stay away you know, for me, or just like, they want to, some, some people want to stay away, but they'll just de- decline my offer. Um, mm-hmm. And decline your offer to just like socialize and hang out or offers to, to smoke, smoke. And okay. so this is one of my biggest freaking, one of the most, one of the things that just like really just freaking pissed me off was uh, the year Okay, my senior year, the year that I decided to stay clean, for some reason, every person started smoking weed. Everyone. I'm not kidding you. Everyone. Everyone started smoking weed. And everyone was inviting me. And I would say no to all those people. And I mean everybody. Like like 80, 80% of the, people, uh, of the students in that school were smoke weed or drink. But you did it uh, before it was cool, right? Before it was cool. And I mean, yeah, and that's what got me so mad. I'm just like, okay, the year I decided to go clean, you guys go crazy because I'm guessing it's your senior year and y'all are smoking a crap ton of pot and drinking a crap ton of booze. Like, and now you guys want to invite me. Now you guys want to hang out. Now you guys want to ask me whether you can find some, like, and so I just got, I got fed up. And um, even when I started smoking uh, just here and there uh, during like, I, I don't, yeah, towards the, the end of my senior year, I really didn't tell anybody. Um, I really just kept it to myself. I was just like, it's not really relevant. It's not really important for you to know if I do or not. Um, anyways, so after high school, graduated, and uh, I, I met my wife in high school. And so she was one of the reasons, she was one of the other reasons why I, I stayed clean, but I also struggled because I, um, I don't know. It was just hard. I mean, like 
you try to change and you have forces that are working against you to to not not change and so it was really hard when I met her uh, and she she knew what I did and you know she she didn't want anything to do with me but I was persistent and uh, she finally gave me a shot and she helped me out a lot in in staying clean and she kind of gave me a reason I don't want to say kind of she gave me a reason why to continue you know fighting my I wouldn't say addictions. It was just because I wasn't addicted. I wasn't like going crazy for it. Um, but you can say that my body was addicted. Uh, mentally, I wasn't. Uh, my body would just crave it here and there. Uh, and so she was one of the main reasons why I I, I tried to tried really hard to just stop. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that's always a hard thing. Like it doesn't, you know. I mean, something like this doesn't have to reach the level of like an actual clinical addition to still, to still be really hard. I mean, I, I remember, um, just, just hearing you talk reminds me of, um, an essay that I read several years ago, um, where somebody was talking about, you know, like, like hundreds of years ago when, when sailors would go out on the ocean, they always had to make sure to bring a whole lot of fresh water with them, you know, cause you're going to be gone for weeks or sometimes months without, seeing land and being able to get fresh water and there, there, you know, there is no fresh water out on the ocean and, you know, if they would run out or if they hit a storm and, you know, some of their water got polluted, you know, they would get so thirsty that even though they knew, right, like they knew, like these people were professional sailors, you know, they'd been on the sea their entire lives. They knew that you're not supposed to drink seawater. It's not good for you. Like they knew it through and through, but still, when you're in that moment, like when you're just desperate for anything to get rid of your thirst, like even, even experienced sailors, like would go crazy and start drinking water, start drinking seawater. And like, that would kill them, you know, you know, and I I feel like, you know, uh, too often people on the outside looking at the situation that you're talking about, um, you know, like it's, it's so easy to just, I mean, I, I remember, like when I was a teenager, I sat through all the same, like, don't do drugs lectures as everybody else, you know? And I mean, it was, it was just never a thing that I personally had to deal with, but you know, I'm listening to your story and it's just like all of, all of the underlying problems, like all of the thirst and all of the reasons why you got involved with in the why you joined the gang and why you started doing drugs in the first place, like all of those things that it did to like make you feel better like none of those problems had been fixed yeah you know (laughs) so it's like it's like none of you know it's i mean we can we can sit there and start you know tell people don't do this don't do this it's bad for you until we're blue in the face but you know it, it, it just seems to me like the real answer at some point like you've you've got to actually if you know if there if there's a healthy way of meeting that person's needs like we have to do that or they're going to keep trying to do it in an unhealthy way you know so i didn't i didn't mean to interrupt i just that's that's what i kept thinking of well while i'm hearing you hearing your story like you you needed a family to belong to you need like a group to socialize with and belong to that isn't a gang you know like yeah. you need you need people who who will love you and accept you and like give you you know, uh, basically you need fresh water, right? And then you'll stop yeah. drinking the poisonous crap. <laughs> I think that's something that, that, you know, some people don't understand is just like, you know, being a, uh, growing up in an impoverished home and it's it's hard. Um, just like I mentioned, it's hard being accepted and, and you end up 
most likely you'll end up getting bullied if you're not dressed well, if you don't dress like everybody else. I mean, I can't tell you how I I I, I look at pictures of me uh, when I was in elementary school, and you know it it really breaks my heart to see the situation I was in. I mean, like again, I had a home, I had both parents, and it was you know I I got to like I said enjoy that having a family like a whole family for for a while um but it's just when it came to like my social life um like just being growing up as a kid was hard because i i was poor i mean i i can barely my mom could, my parents were able to feed us but you know when it when it had to be about clothes and shoes and all this it was hard like you, they made enough to pay rent and you know and to buy food for us and all this but when it came to it was hard especially because it was just me and 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 it was a four four of us in total so like it was four kids that's a that's one of the i guess effects of growing up in a poor home um yeah and then and then especially you know like you said when you when you had to start taking over some of the responsibilities that you know that that your dad had left behind i mean I, I I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking, well, there's no wonder you didn't feel like you fit in a school because you weren't like the other kids. You wasn't, know, I wasn't a teenager. I didn't, I didn't experience how, what it was or what it is to be a teenager to like be carefree and just worry about the only, my only worry would be homework. I mean, some of these people don't really understand the struggle that some of these kids go through that are, are growing a poor home. I mean, and my wife is, she, she's the, she was in the same boat. Like her parents are still together and everything, but you know, she, she also grew up in a, a impoverished home and she, same thing. And it's worse for the, for women in Hispanic homes because they usually have, start having like responsibilities that a mom would have as early as five, six years old, cooking, cleaning, serving food to the men in the house like it's 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 sad so you were saying that when you when you met diana um and she decided that you were worth a little bit of her time (laughs) that (laughs) you know like you said it, it gave you a reason to or she gave you a reason to to i guess sort of change a lot of things in your life um could you talk a little bit more like what 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 did that feel like? What did it mean? Like she gave you a reason or like, how was that different than, you know, anybody else in your life? So during so my senior year, when I, uh, you know, just made the decision to just clean up. Um, it's really funny again, just at the exact same moment that I had made, that I made that decision to change, to change my habits, the person I was and be someone better was during that same time that I, met my my now wife i met her in high school and um you know she she wouldn't do any she wouldn't do drugs she wouldn't do any of that stuff she was she was a a good girl though i'll put it that way um and so she she strived to keep she had these standards that she strived to keep and so it i was astonished i i was blown away i was like wait what like you don't do this and that, like, what? Who are you? Like, where have you been living? And um, so it was. It's really funny because so. Anyways, I met her during that time, knowing her standards. Like, she would tell me. I mean, she wouldn't want to, you know, be with someone that does drugs and stuff. And so that just pushed me more. I'm just like, you know, I want. I, if I want to keep her, I have to not do this. Um, 
because I didn't want to lose her. I mean, and that's what that's what pushed me. And then also on top of that, she's the type of person to kind of just you know always look for a way to how can I say it to uh, she was always, always she was always looking for a way to to get out of her situation. She always she's she's always looking for a way to improve. Always looking for a way to uh, you know to be able to overcome you know poverty or impoverished impoverished situation so at that time uh i think we dated uh three years before we both ended up going to college but during those three years i would see her ambition to get out of the hole is that's i'm gonna put it that way get out of the hole and she would admire that i stepped up and you know, took some responsibilities that my dad left, but she said that it's time for me to move on. And I think that was the hardest thing, especially for Hispanic people. Like if you ask, Hispanic people are really like family uh, centered. And so like I told her, I was like, what do you mean? Like stop helping my mom. And she was like, yeah, you need to focus on yourself. You need to work on yourself. You need to get out of this hole. You can't just stay here. And I think that was one of the hardest things. And she pushed me really hard. She was like, you need to go back to school. You need to do this. And blah, blah. back then when college was actually worth something. Uh, I mean, it's still worth something right now. But... That's, yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, I just wasn't expecting you to say that. That's a, that's a can of worms I hadn't anticipated <laughs> opening. <laughs> Anyways, we could talk about that later, though, because it would be an interesting uh, topic. But um she, she really pushed me. And it, it's just really hard for me just to be like, oh, just stop supporting my mom financially and just let God or whatever, someone help her, like someone take over, like some miracle's going to happen. And that was my, that was the struggle. That's the, that was one of the hardest things that I had to overcome with her. And like, she would always push me. She was like, yeah, I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to pursue my dreams. I'm not going to let them hold me back. Like, I don't want to be living like this forever. Like, do you see how our parents live? Do you see how they eat? Do you see where they sleep? Do you see how they sleep? Do you see how they work? Like their butts off. You see how late they come. You see how many jobs they have to work. You see how expensive things are and, how they can barely afford things for themselves and for their kids. And she was just slamming with all this stuff. And so I think it was like three years I was working dead end jobs um, uh, after high school. And so after three years, we finally made the decision to go to school. I made, it was hard for me. And I finally made that decision to, you know, leave it up and leave it to, 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 to God, to, take care of my mom basically i know some people that might listen to this are gonna be like what what kind of kind of crap is that but i mean you'd be surprised um and and before i continue like that's one of the other main reasons why people struggle to get out of poverty i mean they they think that oh you just go to school and do this and that. like it's hard i mean especially people who grow up in single family homes single parent homes like i did i mean you you feel like you have that responsibility or that obligation to continue to help your mom or your, your siblings or whatever because you know they're your family and, and it's in some sense yes uh you should help but at what cost i mean for me right. if i if i didn't meet my wife my now wife, the cost of that would have been been me staying, looking, working dead end jobs, not going to college, um, not being where I am now, and staying. I'm, I would still be living with my mom, and that's not a bad thing. But I'll still be living with her in an impoverished setting because I know for a fact I wouldn't be making more than twenty five thousand dollars a year, for a fact, with jobs how jobs pay nowadays. I'll probably be one unfortunate ones of being unemployed during this time and you know it's rough it's hard and 
My mom's been blessed to not be unemployed. She has been able to stay employed. Her hours have been cut, but she's continued to be, she's, she's still able to work. But anyways, like I think about all that. And that's one of the main reasons that, well, those are one of the reasons why some people can't get out of poverty. And then just to add on top of that, kids, as they grow up, they mimic what their parents do. A lot of people, some people, why they stay in poverty is because they see the way the lifestyle that their parents have and they mimic that lifestyle when they grow up. And it's hard to break that cycle. It's a cycle that keeps going and going. And then you just have to find that 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 break in that cycle to just get out. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's tough. I mean, no matter <clears throat> no matter what situation you grew up in, I mean, to to imagine yourself living in a way that's completely different from what you're used to, <laughs> completely different from everybody around you. And, you know, like it's, it's not normal, I guess, in that sense, like, you know, you've got, you've got this vision of what you want, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's still just that it's, it's a dream. It's a vision. And like nobody in your family, nobody around you does that. So it's, you know, I, I, I can, I can sort of imagine what you're saying, how like it's just, just to even conceive of the idea of having a life that's completely different from that of your parents is, I mean, that's, that's a bit of a leap sometimes. (laughs) It's it's unattainable. Like in in that, in that point of view, in in that uh, point in my life, to me, that was unattainable to be able to live where I'm living right now. wasn't realistic to be able to actually have the money to buy my own car my it's not a new car it's a used car but it's 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 a car and i was able to pay out of my pocket like that's not that's not something that i imagined i did not imagine to have what i have now like all these things my wife always brings it up and um she'd like to remind me to just be grateful to for for what i have even though i'm not living in in where i want to be living just because a bunch of other stuff that's going on i mean i am way better off now than I was before and then I would be if I would not have made that decision to go to school and stay with my parents. So where did, uh, I, I guess just uh, this question that keeps coming back to my mind is where, where did Diana get all this infectious enthusiasm and hope and optimism and determination to, to make things different you know, to be honest, and she says this, and I 100% believe it, she feels like she was placed, I don't, well, I'm not going to say it that way. She she feels like she was meant to grow up in a middle-class family or middle-class home because her ambitions and her, her ideas and everything she does is just like, if I know that if she had the money, if she had the income, if she had the financial resources, she would be making a lot of money. And that's something that she always questions. She's like, why did I get placed in this family you know, that had these struggles and I'm completely different from them. And I, I, I don't know. She's, she's just blessed with that, that energy, though, that um, ambition to just keep going for something better. I mean, like she always talks about progress and she's always fighting. And every time she wants, she puts her mind to something, she gets it done. And so it's just the way she was. I mean, I, she it's, I don't know. I honestly don't know where she got it from, but I mean, it's, she definitely didn't get it from any of her parents. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that in a bad way in case someone, one of their, one of them listens to this, but um, 
I don't know. I, from from what her parents have told me is she's always been like that since since she was little. She's always had ambitions. She's always been. Uh, she's always she always works hard for to to obtain what she wants, and uh, and I was blessed to meet her and and have her push me out of my comfort zone. So it remains a mystery. <laughs> it does, but like I said, I know that if she was given the opportunity to be born or live with a wealthy family that would take her in, she would she would have so many things out, like. You, I don't know, man. She has so many ideas, and I and I feel bad because, like, I wish I could help her. I mean, I can try. I can I can try to support her, but it's just, just like any business, it's always hard starting. Um, so many ideas, you don't know how it's gonna go. Um, but anyways, um, I me and her ended up going to school together. Uh, we ended up going to college. We graduated. Um, and the other thing that I guess that's really hard is. In order to get out of poverty, you have to get in debt. <laughs> and getting in debt doesn't necessarily help you get out of poverty. You might not be poor, but then you have all these bills and debt, uh, debt that you have to pay off. And so that's what that's something else that makes it hard to actually get out of poverty. Because me and my wife, like we both went to college and we both have loans that we have to pay off. And it's, you know, that's right now because of everything that's going on, we've been, you know, we don't have to really worry about it right now until next year. But it's it's still a weight that we have to carry. It's still something that's going to hold us back from actually being, uh, I guess, financially free in a sense, um, where we don't have those obligations anymore. Um, we're still tied down. And we, in a sense, me, me, both me and my wife wonder why is it that we're, where we're at right now, I'm making this amount of money and we still feel poor. It doesn't make sense. Like me and my wife just don't understand. We went, we did all this work just to kind of end up not in the same spot or situation, but something similar. But we're able to to live by ourselves. Like we're able to rent our own home and not have to live with our parents or rely on our parents. Like we have enough to to do what we want to do, to buy what we need. But it that's that's about it. Like it's just crazy how expensive things are getting, which does not help at all. Um, and so it just makes it harder. But I mean, to, we 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 broke the cycle though. We 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 broke the impoverishment cycle. We know that when we uh, decide to grow our families, that they're not going to be in that same situation. They're going to be better off than we were. Um, but yeah, we we can we can say that we broke that cycle. Um, we're not in that same situation as our parents were when they came here, and that they could they they are currently in. Um, yeah, and I know you know for for every story of you know every for for every rags to riches story that makes a great movie. Um, you know, there's there's a million or or tens of millions of of stories like like what you're talking about where you know you you've put in a lot of work and you've done a lot of really, really difficult things. And there's a lot of sweat behind, you know, the, the place in life that you've gotten to right now. Um, but it's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's not like you're living in the lap of luxury, you know, I mean, you're, you're, I mean, it sounds like from what you've said, you definitely feel like you're in a better place than, than you 
than you would have been if you'd sort of stayed in the environment that you and Diana grew up in. But, you know, that sort of that, you know, like you said, that, that, that comes with pressures and problems of its own, you know, yeah. um, it, it, like, like dad, for example. But, uh, yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, it's not, it's not a simple or an easy thing. And I know that there's, there are very, very few things that can, very few topics of conversation that become as heated as quickly as, you know, the, how to quote, solve poverty. <laughs> right. Um, that, that gets so many people worked up because I mean, it, 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 it there's, there's so many, so many people whose perspective is rooted in personal experience, like what you're talking about. Um, there's just, there's so many things to consider. And, and like you were saying with Diana, like, you know, it's, it's largely her, her persistence and her optimism and her ambition has made such a difference, you know? And if you were to ask like, well, where did that come from? We don't know. Right. <laughs> like she just yeah. has it, you know? So like, how do you, or can you even replicate that? You know, like, it's not, it's not an, it's not an easy answer. It's, it's hard. Like you can't just, I think solving poverty is a diff, something really difficult because first of all, the environment that you grow up in, the schools that you go to, your professors, teachers, I mean, they all play a huge role, believe it or not. I mean, in elementary school, I was blessed to have this lady. She would, she was amazing. She would always take me and some other kids that were in similar situations. And I know, I knew, I knew that, that there was something that just like not fishy, but just something about her that she went, that she would always take us out during certain class periods. And it was awesome, man. Like she would grab, she would, she would take, I think five of us at a time or six. And she would do it like, I think every Wednesday or something. And she would take us into her office and we'll just chat. She would give us candy. And it was just really nice. It was a really nice break. Like we got to actually socialize it. it and it was always just like those kids that were, I guess, considered poor. I, I don't know how they ran that program. I don't even know if it was legit or if, if she was able, if she was allowed to do this. But that was something that kind of stuck with me. And just having those positive people in your life that are there to actually listen to you, to help. Because she would always ask us questions and see how she can help us and so anyways, so in your environment, school, like people you're around with um, is also a big influence. I think uh, having programs to kind of, and this is hard because it's, it's, you know, it doesn't really have a huge success rate. I don't know what the success rate is. I'm pretty sure it's just like maybe one out of like 50 people that actually are able to get out of poverty because of what they've learned and what they're pushed to do in those programs. But people that you surround yourself with um just like financial barriers uh that can also help um role models it's it's not just like giving money to these families who are struggling it's not going to help um it's actually giving them some type of tool service program something that can actually get the youth involved something that can uplift them something that can give them positive role models instead of gang members giving them that that family feel that something that where they feel accepted um because that's something else that i learned when i was in college is that you really do become what you surround yourself with if you surround yourself with thugs you're going to become like those thugs if you surround yourself with smart people you're going to become like those smart people because you're pushed to to kind of just get into what they're they're doing uh get knowledgeable on what they do or what they know 
Uh, if you want to socialize with someone who's a geek or an, an anime or whatever, you you know, if you don't know anything about anime, you're not going to be able to bond with that person or science or math, whatever it is that their thing is. Like, if you can't if you can't talk to them about that, then you can't really bond with that person. And I really wish I learned all these things that I know now sooner, because I feel like I would be in the I'll be somewhere else. Maybe better, but I'll be I'll be where I'll I'll be I'll be good either way. I'll I'm, I'll be I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, Here. I I I, def, I definitely know that feeling of wishing I had learned some things sooner. I I it's just so interesting to to talk about this with you because I mean I and it's not it's not my intention to to give an opinion on the subject of you know, what to do about poverty from a a public policy point of view. But it just sounds like from what you're saying that, you know, there's, there's so many things, I mean, uh, for, for lack of a better way of saying it, you know, poor people are at the end of the day, still people too. Right. So there's so many things that constitute your life and your environment. um, And, you know, why your situation is the way it is and why, you think the way you do and, and all the rest of it. And like why you have the expectations that you do, you know, like you said, you never expected to be where you are. That was sort of a thing that, you know, you, you had to borrow from somebody else <laughs> from Diana, that, ex- <laughs> that expectation that that could change. You know, there, I mean, what I'm saying is there's so many things that, that factor into what makes a person who they are that, you know, like a, all, all of the things that we try to do, like you said, you know, whether it's programs or, or changing schools or it, any kind of welfare thing. Like, I, I, again, I'm not trying to give an opinion about whether yeah. or how much or in what way we should do those things, but just recognize, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, all of those things are still only a part of that person. Like you were saying, your, your family like, what's your family like? Um, what's your personality like? Are you a Diana who's just kind of born with this innate drive and, you know, the, the devil gets in my way at his own peril kind of person? Or, you know, is that is that maybe not something that comes naturally to you? You know, and like, does anybody have any control over that? I mean, what are your... What are your What are your friends like? You know, what I mean, like, what what school district are you born in? So, like, what kind of social environment? You know, are 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 you going to school with jerks or not? Like, you know, all these things that do you get what I'm saying? Like, there's just a whole yeah, yeah. lot of things that come into play here, um, and I just think that's important to recognize that you know whatever it is that that we try to do to to sort of help people change that situation in their lives. You know, there's, there's always other things. Uh, we, we don't necessarily have the full picture, I guess is what I'm saying. No, no. And it's, and it's, again, it's just one of those things like poverty is just a hard thing to, to actually solve. I don't think there's actually a way to, well, I mean, I don't know. It's just even, even me coming from an impoverished environment, family, like it's, it's hard to pinpoint uh, one thing it's it's a lot like you just mentioned it's it's a lot of different factors that that you know play into into someone's success or in 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 getting out of it or continuing in it because I mean they can have the support in school or from like mentors or professors teachers but not have it at home I mean especially like that's that's just yeah it's if you don't have it at home it's hard uh, especially uh, with with people that grow up in families that 
come here from a different country. I mean, they're, they don't know any better. They don't, they just know how they, they just know that they have to feed their family and keep a roof over their heads. Um, people aren't, don't, people don't choose to be born in poverty. Um, and I just want to, I just want to make that clear because people act like it's a choice. It's not a choice. My, my family came here because there was a civil war in their country and they wanted to, you know, live, not die. They love their life. They don't want to die in, in some civil war in their country. They came here and, you know, they had kids. You don't want to have kids in, a, in a, that type of environment or area. I mean, like they didn't choose to to live the way they live. I mean, yes, yes, I, I agree that they can always look for opportunities to grow, to learn, whatever, and all that. Yes, that is true. But, and I'm not giving an excuse for those people that don't take the opportunity to learn and grow and, and go to school and whatever, get an education while they're here. But it's not as easy as like, hey, go do this. It's not as easy. Just like it, just like it wasn't easy for me to just leave my mom and my siblings and go to college. It wasn't that easy. It took me about three years to finally take make that decision, take that step, that leap of faith to actually leave my family and put my trust in God that he was going to take care of them. And it was hard. It wasn't like, okay, mom, I'm leaving. I'm going to college. No, no, no. It wasn't like that. And, uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm thankful that he, he took care of my mom. My mom didn't uh, need anything. She never struggled to pay rent. I mean, rent was always paid. Uh, I don't know about everything else, but I mean, she was able to, you know, have a roof over her head and my siblings were able to, to eat. And so, it's not. It's not a choice um, to stay in poverty. Now that's a choice, but again, there's certain factors that play into it. It can be by situation where you end up staying in your staying with your family to help them out financially. You made that decision to stay and help because they're your family, and so you made that decision to stay in poverty, even though you didn't want to. Um, you kind of you made that decision. There's addictions. There's a lot of other things that can keep you in poverty. But yeah, there's there's. I mean, it, it sounds like that's that's kind of the theme of, of what we've been talking about. You know, there's all there's all sorts of things that factor into this, and all sorts of things that you know, like like me, for example, I I grew up in a very different circumstance from what you're describing, um, and I I realize now so many things that I had going for me that I didn't even realize um, because they just always been there <laughs> for me. Um, like having both of my parents in my life and they're still together today. And I, it's not, I had nothing to do with that. You know, (laughs) that was not a choice that I made. Um, but I know that it's affected me. Um, but it's just one of those things like, yeah, like you were saying, um, you know, what, what you do with the life that you're born into is, is a choice to some extent. Um, but there's all kinds of things that factor into your, the, the kinds of options you have available to you and your ability to make choices, um, even like your mental and emotional health. I mean, it's so often it's, you know, we don't, we don't even know why we make the choices that we do because we don't like the choices that we make, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it's like going, going back to the sailors and the seawater, like they know it's not a good thing, but like, they don't know what else to do, you know? Um, and when, when you've always had so many of those things that allow you to be mentally and emotionally healthy so that you can make good decisions, like when you've always had those things, you know, like you said, it can really seem like 
you know, why, why don't, why don't people just, just do this and this and this, you know, and just change their circumstance. It, it is a choice, but it's not always that, that simple. Um, yeah. Sounds like that's what you're saying. And uh, real quick, um, before we wrap up, you have, um, you've mentioned a couple of times, um, you've said things like, I just, I left the care of my mom in, in God's hands or, or, or something like that. Um, I, I wanted to talk about that. Could you just tell us a little bit about like what, what role has God or your faith in God or religion of any kind played in your life and in sort of this transition that you've been talking about? Cause that's how you and I met you and I met because we work together as missionaries. Nice. So I, I, I know a little bit of your story, um, <sighs> but you know, like out, out of all of the many factors that have got you to where you are at this point in your life, like what, what role has your faith played? And to be honest, uh, it's, it's played a, a huge role uh, in the sense that it, it helped me maintain the standards that my wife was living. Um, when I talk about in, in my senior year, how I relapsed, um, it was actually after I was baptized. Um, and you know how that happened. You know how that, <laughs> you know how that goes. <laughs> I, like I said, I've, I've heard the story. You don't, you don't, you can share as much or as little as you want. But. Yeah, man. Like, so anyways, it's, it's crazy. So I was doing really well. I was staying clean. Um, and then I, I, my wife, she's religious. And so she ended up getting back. Like she, she like had me take these lessons from the missionaries and I enjoyed it, man. Like, and, and again, it's just really, 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 really funny how things just fall into, into place. Like, look, beginning of senior year, I wanted to change my life. Okay. I wanted to be clean. I meet my now wife. She introduced me to her church. I take the lessons from the missionaries. I mean, come on. This is like a setup. <laughs> this is a freaking I, feel like, setup. I feel like I've heard this story before. Yes, it's a freaking setup, okay? And so I take the lessons. I really enjoy what I, what I, what I, you know, what they were teaching me, what they were showing me, what they were uh, uh, exposing me to. And I was like, you know what? I, I think I want to do this. And so I decided to get baptized. And when I decided to get baptized, that's when freaking Satan decides to throw all these things at me, all these temptations. And that's when I relapsed because, man, it was hell i am not gonna lie to you those first couple months after i got baptized was were hell i everything i knew was being di dismantled destroyed dis demolished in front of me and i had to learn all these new things i had to rebuild myself but with a better foundation um and i learned that when i was serving my mission um how everything that happened to me was because i had to you know rebuild my foundation i had to rebuild my foundation on christ um, and so, and so, uh, that, that helped me, that pushed me, uh, to, to continue. Uh, and I think the biggest, uh, blessing, uh, that I received, um, was the pathway program that was, uh, in the, what was it, like a pilot program. And it was funny, uh, the BYU opened the pilot program in my, my state, my area, where me and my wife were attending church, um, and it was a it, it was a pathway to to uh, to college basically. So you, you took some like basic like math uh, English math English and some, I don't know some some of these like core foundation classes for BYU, and uh, if you did well, you 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 had to since it was a pilot program, you had to get all A's. If you got one B, you would have to retake that class. Like that's how strict it was. Wow. Um, so, and it was a pilot, it was a year pilot program. So it was a year. And then after that year, 
if you got all A's for all those classes that you took uh, during that year, you had the decision to either start uh, college online, start taking classes online um, and have them count as college credits or uh, articulate to campus, like to actually go to the actual college and, and, and go to and, and go to like the physical school. So that's that was the hardest decision because, um, uh, you know, I could either choose to stay online and stay with my mom and help her or or leave my mom and go to school. And so before I keep going, there was actually so it was my wife and three other members of the church that all of them pushed me to go back to school because I had my mindset. I did not want to go back. I thought it was a waste of time. Um, my wife was like really big. She was like, you have to go, you have to go, you have to go. And so the only reason I joined the pathway program was because my wife and some other really, 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 really good friends that are still friends of mine. And I admire them and have so much respect for them and just love them so much for everything they did to me or did for me. Uh, when I first joined the church, they pushed me like crazy just to join the pathway program. They were like, give it a shot, give it a shot, give it a shot. They'll always joke about it anyways. So because of them and my wife, I joined the pathway program against my will. <laughs> uh, and, I was, and I looked at my, I looked at my now wife and I told her, I was like, I'm doing this for you. Okay. I'm not going to continue this after, after we finish. This is just so I can show you that I support you, you know, just kind of like all grumpy and, and mad and, <laughs> and just like, just, just, just really upset that I had to do this, um, and so, I, so, anyways, I ended up joining, and I loved it, man. I loved it. It was, it, I learned so much. Um, there was a, a course that was mandatory to take. It's not mandatory anymore, and I think they got rid of it. But it was, it was, it was called the Foundations cor- uh, cl- Course, and the Foundations Course was all about church history, about the apostles, and that really grew my faith. I mean, I had to read the the bio of two apostles um a week and write a paper. And this was the, that was the structure of that course. Every week read two two bios of two apostles, write a story, reflect on it. And I I learned so many things from these apostles and like prophets and like their experience growing up and what they had to go through and their struggle and like the struggles that their families and everybody else went to and i was like wow this is crazy and the prosecution that some of them faced and i was like oh my gosh uh and so that really built my faith so anyways the pathway program was over and so i think it was i I don't think i know because of that faith that i was able to to grow during that year um you know it, it made the decision of going off to college a little bit easier not made it easier it just made it a little bit easier to just kind of take that step to take that leap of faith um to go to school and and let you know god take care of my mom and he did he took care of my mom she i i never got a call from my mom saying she was getting evicted because she couldn't pay rent i got none of that my mom was well taken care of um and i am so grateful i mean that's that's I think that's, I don't think, I got to stop saying that. I know that that was one of the biggest things that uh, that helped me, uh, especially have especially with my faith in, in God, because that was my biggest worry, man. Like, I was going to leave my mom and she's going to end up getting evicted because she can't pay rent and all this stuff. Just 
bunch of stuff started coming to my mind. And that was my only blocker. That was my only thing that was holding me back from actually going to uh, school. But like I said, I took that leap of faith, went to college and, uh, yeah, my mom was taken care of and she's doing fine. And now, you know, I'm, I live with my wife and I, there's no need for me to continue supporting my mom. Like my mom's doing well and she's not living a luxurious life and she's not, you know, having everything that she needs, but she has what, well, everything that she wants, she has what she needs. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I obviously I'm, yeah, I, 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 I'm obviously a person of faith myself. <laughs> and that, that's, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing that, um, you know, any making, making any kind of, of major change in your life like that, doing something that uh, was totally unexpected that, you know, you didn't even think that this was going to be the place where you would be at at this point in your life. Like, I, I don't think there's any better word for that than that's, that's a leap of faith. <laughs> it really is. You have to, you have to take that jump, not really knowing how or if things are going to work out. And it, and it did for you guys. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear that your, your mom is still doing okay. Still haven't got to meet uh, your mom yet either, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe but I, Virginia for, for vacation or something. Yeah, next time, next time I head out that way. I I already feel like she must be a good person uh, having met you. So she did something right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just uh, I, I want to thank you, Eric, um, for taking the time to talk about this with us. I know that it's it's not easy to talk about all the time, um, but uh, I, I don't know. I just I I've. I feel like I've learned a lot here just just from talking with you. Um, it's always always really important to to keep a lot of these things in mind. And again, I'm I'm going to refrain from giving any opinions about you know <laughs> what what to do about any of the things that we've talked about. Just just to say that I, I think it really is important to just always keep the human element of of these these conversations in mind. So. Eric, if there was, if if there's one thing that you wish people better understood about poverty and about people who grow up in impoverished neighborhoods, what would that be? Oh, uh, uh, one does not choose to uh, be born in poverty. One can choose to get out of it, but you also have to take in consideration their situation. Everybody has a unique situation, and that not just doing one thing is going to fix everything um and to just just uh just show love love them uh support them help if you can not financially i'm not saying financially but emotionally uh as a friend uh be a friend um you know if you know anything that can help just feel free and just share with them um don't judge a book by its cover basically just read it <laughs> understand it understand the what's going on in the story uh before making a, a rash decision or conclusion or criticizing them or judging them um, i think that's that's something that i would uh like for everybody to know great thank you yeah yeah just just be kind you know i i just i had another thought you know if you think about it, like 
the wealth and the abundance that a lot of us enjoy today is kind of unnatural, if you think about it. <laughs> like the normal, ordinary state of mankind throughout basically all of human history has been abject poverty or what we would describe as poverty. They just called it normal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting that, um, because I was actually, uh, listening to this podcast. Um, it's a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> I know you're a, um, you're a big Joe Rogan. Fan. I think, I think I mentioned this in the last one. Um, he was uh, interviewing or talking to this guy and he said that he spent a week with these, uh, with this tribe and he just like was, blown away of how happy these people were i mean these people didn't have shoes didn't have a home like they lived like in, in i don't know mud houses or huts or whatever it was and like they would have to go and, and hunt all day and like they just loved life like he said that that was one of the things the biggest thing that he took away like they these people had nothing and they had so much joy and love and just they just it, they were like kids I mean, he he just said that every time, every every night, every night at dinner, like they would just, it would just be a party. That's how that's how he would he, that's how he described it, and it kind of makes me think like with what you're saying. I mean, I think we ourselves make ourselves miserable by saying, "Oh, you want to be happy? Buy this two hundred and fifty thousand dollar car," <laughs> and then you get a lot of people to be your friends or buy all the buy buy these expensive clothing or buy these brand name things and own this like freaking 12 bedroom house that you don't really need because it's only you and your wife. Uh, like you don't need those things to be happy. And so like, it's, it, it kind of goes with what you're saying. I mean, what we've been exposed to, what you expose yourself to also affects how happy you are. Because if you like these, like these people, this, this tribe, they don't know any better. They they have nothing and they're so happy. And then first world problems, right? Like you come to United yeah. States, you see people with nice cars, clothes, and whatever, and like you're like, yeah, I want I want to I want to be like them so I can be happy. But that's that's not going to make you happy. Yeah, and I, you know, I've I've been thinking so much about gratitude over the last couple of weeks, but not in like I. I've been thinking about it so much and it makes me, I've, I've started to think like the way that we talk about and understand gratitude, I think is kind of shallow. <laughs> Cause I think, I think what, I mean, like I said, obviously I'm, I'm of the same faith as you are. I think when God's constantly reminding us to be grateful and like to give him thanks, I, I think the reason he, does that is because like at least at least half of the enjoyment that we get out of things is recognizing how special that thing is you know what i mean like i mean i i i mean i enjoy so many things about living in the united states and the wealth and abundance that we have here like i mean the, those people that you were describing, like so many of my favorite things to do, they don't have, you know, yeah. so many, so many of my favorite foods, they don't have access to you know, things like that, you know? So I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's abundance itself that makes, makes us unhappy. Um, I think it's, I think the reason those people are so happy is because they fully appreciate and enjoy everything that they do have. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think so much of what ruins things for us is because we do, we do have such an expectation of as, as I go along in life, I'm going to get more, I'm going to be wealthier and I'm going to be able to enjoy more stuff. And I think that's a great thing, but like we let that expectation of the future ruin all of the amazing things that we have in the present. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I agree. Yeah. And and just the more I think about like out of all of the humans, all of the homo sapiens that have ever lived on this planet and all of the things that they have had, every single person who is alive on the planet today. And at the very least, at the very least, every single person in the United States is like in the top fraction of a percent of people in terms of the multitude of things that we have available to us and that we can enjoy. You know what yeah, I mean? That, that's, Compar- that's compared to like all the entire history of humanity. Yeah, no, no. And it's, that's something like, like what comes to my mind is like how, how people tend to complain about the smallest things, for example, in the United States or just first world uh, problems or whatever complaints compare that to like third world countries. I mean, we, it, I, I don't know how to put it, but I want to say like, we don't have, we shouldn't be complaining. We don't. We should. We shouldn't have the right to complain because we are way. I'm not. And I'm not trying to compare it, but like, there's people in other countries that are far, like way worse, like than you are. But they're fine. Like, they're, and again, it's just the exposure that someone. It's just the exposure. I think it's just like the exposure that you are, um, that is given to you in this country. Like, so many things are just pushed into your face. And when you're exposed to so much, so many, so much, so many, so like all these things, it's harder to find, I guess, pleasure or a sense of happiness when you don't have it. Kind of like with what you said, like you have yeah. all these foods and all these things that you know that these people don't have and that you probably wouldn't be able to live because yeah. they don't have all this stuff. But that's because of what you were exposed to those things. And now because you have been exposed to those things, you can't live without those things. Yeah. And I think I, and this, I mean, this is just my opinion again, but I think that what we're talking about, like, this is one of those reasons why this, this is getting off the subject a little bit, but it's sort of related why like preserving wilderness spaces and like the experiences that, that I had as a kid, like camping. I mean, I never like, I was never like doing any like hardcore wilderness survival or anything like that, but just like having a little bit of that experience of just being in nature and like away from all the modern stuff. Cause like I said, I don't think that stuff is bad, but what I remember it doing for me is like, I look back on those experiences now and I realize like, man, like, like you were saying like a $250,000 car, like when you're alone in the woods and the only stuff you have is like whatever you happen to have on your back and whatever you can find out there, and then, like, you come home and you think about all this stuff that you have. Like, isn't this amazing? And, like, I just, you feel so much more, just so, I, I, you, like, the whole world seems so much more wonderful <laughs> and amazing, yeah, okay. you know? And, 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 and I, like, I agree. I... <laughs> and, like, with that, with that $250,000 car, like, I mean, if, if you want that, if you can afford that, like, go for it. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't have that car. But, like, instead of worrying about, like, is this the best car? Is it the newest car? Like what do other people think of me or whatever? Like just 
drive the freaking car and just love it and enjoy it for its own sake and just realize like this is amazing i am enjoying something that is amazing and is rare and is a unique privilege that it, it's just it's a miracle that this thing even exists and i, I just i feel like if 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 we and i i I struggle doing that too, but I've just been thinking lately over the last couple of weeks, like if I could just have that attitude about all of the things that I have, like I've got this bowl of microwave popcorn sitting next to me, (laughs) you know? And like the more I learn about what life was like before microwave popcorn and how people invented it and how it came to be so readily available, like the more I learn about that and appreciate it, the more I can sit down here with this bowl of popcorn and just like revel in the amazing miracle that is this bowl of popcorn that uh, that that I have, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel oh, yeah. like there's so, there's so many things, man. Like, if you if you think about how people used to live back in the 20s, I mean, and you and you look at how we live now, how much easier things are for us. You know, uh, uh, for example, like I'm a big car guy, so being knowing that cars back then were made with what like 50 horsepower or whatever 90 horsepower was like the max that some cars would come out with like from the factory that's insanely slow insane yeah. slow i mean like, driving I, that car I nowadays, right, yeah i think the wright brothers airplane was like 20 horsepower <laughs> yeah i mean thinking like when we think about what the the advances we made and things that we have now that have made our life easier like like okay i'm i i i'm i'm a programmer and i know that you're into you 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 know yourself around a computer too um like think about just like memory cards like desktops uh hard drives how much smaller they have gotten like that is insane you can fit you can have like a one uh what is one terabyte hard drive the size of what uh, uh, of your phone, one terabyte of memory on your phone, or the size of your phone, instead of having three, four offices with mm-hmm. huge computers to store one terabyte information. Not even like it's just insane. The real floppy disks, <laughs> like I don't even know if anybody remembers floppy disks. <laughs> um, it's just yeah. I mean, when you put it that way, I think it's a good thing. Like what you're saying, I think it's a good thing that we as as people as humans we should we should take time to reflect on what we have and how we can be more grateful because um we should be i i think we 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 100% should be more grateful than we currently are and i know that is something that i am working on currently something that i have been struggling with a lot since quarantine has happened um but i just want to add also to to you to what you mentioned about nature like you know, that's something that me and my wife miss a lot out from the West is just the just quietness that you have when you go out. Because out there, I feel like going out for a hike or camping out out West is a lot more different. It's like a lot more uh, enjoyable than it is out here in the East. I've never been camping out here in the East. It's always hard to find a place like you have yes, to it's, pretty far. Yeah, it's... it's definitely a different experience i i was yeah. born in the chicago area and uh camping in chicago was way different <laughs> from like montana yeah and <laughs> so totally like, different animal just just that situation like when i when i remember when going camping and just being able to hang out with friends around a fire and just looking up at the stars and being able to see the 
hundreds and thousands of stars up in the sky was just beautiful. And just going back to the city or going back into town, not being able to see all that, like really makes you, like you said, just, uh, just love nature more, just love your surroundings more because you're just like, wow, like that was beautiful. Like I want to see that more. And, I, and that's another reason why I think that's been hard for me and my wife to be, and this off topic, but for us to be back in the city is because we've been so used to and accustomed to being out, not like in the countryside, but kind of like in small town, relative mm -hmm. all cities, yeah. a lot that's spacious. And there's not, there's a lot of people, but there's a lot of space for those people. And there's not, it's not really developed. So you don't have a bunch of streetlights flooding the roads. Right. And so you're able to see the stars at night and it's beautiful. Yeah. I've, that's just, I've, I've just been thinking that very same thing, like for the last couple of weeks, you know, and I, I, for some reason, like for most of my life, those have seemed like opposites. Like if you're grateful, like you're just sort of like content where you are and you're like happy with the way things are. And you're like, you know, I don't really need to change. I don't want to do anything different. Um, like gratitude to me seemed really passive and complacent, but I feel like the way I've been understanding it lately is like, it's way more alive and dynamic than that. Like gratitude is like, it's, it's sort of like, it's like, it's like a sweet and sour chicken, right? Like, <laughs> like this, it's like, it's like the sweetness and the sourness, like they pair together to make each other a lot stronger, you know? So like the sort of natural desire and ambition that we have to improve our lives and to, to make more money or buy more stuff or whatever. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I don't think that like being grateful and understanding that like things could be worse or things used to be worse in the past or like, you know, this isn't the hardest thing I've ever been through. Like that's also good, but I think they're both better when you marry them together. Like when you can keep in your mind all at once, like all of the goals and ambitions and things that you have for the future. And also remembering that like, handmade spears crapping in the woods and eating raw meat like that is normal <laughs> like that is the baseline for mankind so like it, it just it, i i feel like it makes you know all of all of the food that we eat is tasty for its own sake and all of the things that we do are fun are fun for their own sake but they're like 10 times more enjoyable when we couple that with the knowledge that this is a really rare and special thing that we're yeah. enjoying and we enjoy it all the time. You know what I mean? That, that was something that, that kind of like hit me hard when I went to uh, Georgia, you know how those places were some of those uh, uh, trailer parks. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It was sad. It was really sad. And it just kind of like, you know, I had it, never seen a feral chicken before. Oh, the chicken ducks. You remember the chicken duck? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. Like you you would you would see some of these people and anyways. I had also never seen a chicken eat a dog before. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> crazy, man. It's sometimes you know, and that's why I'm grateful because I feel that a lot of a lot of people in this country need to go out and experience what it is to not not because it's gonna help them live like feel better about themselves, but it's gonna I think it's gonna help them appreciate more um of what they have because i don't think they realize what it is or how it is to or what it looks like to live a certain way i mean they complain about their iphones uh they complain about their smartwatches or their freaking high-tech computers or whatever i mean they just gotta 
Isn't it just amazing that those things exist? <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, like, especially how small laptops have gotten, dude. It's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially smartphones, like how just how much, how thin they're getting and how freaking powerful their cameras are becoming, but how, also how, how, how they're being used as a tool to spy on people, which is the biggest downside. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, you know, besides that, like, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I was, I was, I just had this thought, like, I wonder if, like, in the church, when we talk about how God sent us here to earth to, like, learn and grow and gain experience and all the rest of it, I wonder if, like, if, if like, this wasn't a huge part of it, in the sense that, like, as, as far as we know, our entire lives before we were born when we were just spirits, like we lived with God and obviously none of us remember exactly what that's like, but I imagine it was pretty fantastic, but yeah. we didn't know it. You know what I mean? Cause like we had never been outside of his presence. Yeah. And so I, I have to wonder if like, if that wasn't a big part of like why he permits so much hellish crap to go on down here because he knows it's temporary and he knows that like having experienced all of this, we can go home to him and like, we'll be with him and like, we'll be enjoying all of the things and all of the people that are in heaven, but we'll also like have that knowledge married with the understanding of like, this is a really special thing. Because there is a whole other plane of existence that is not like this, you know. That that makes me think. Like, and I wonder if, how, it, if, if it like if it makes it even more heavenly than it was before. Because we know, I wonder if that's what God means when He says, "Knowing the good from the evil." Like you're living in goodness, but you don't know that you're living in goodness because you don't you don't know what it's like to be without. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes me think about like how, how, when, how I'm gonna react personally when I am fine when, when, when let's say when the veil is, is 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 lifted and you are able to remember everything and com- like you said, combine that with what we have grown to learn here. I think it's gonna be like an, uh, like an really mind blowing type of like feeling. Uh, I think it's going to, for me, I feel like it's going to be like just a huge burst of excitement or just like, like a realization, like just every combining, just, I mean, just imagine it, man, combining everything that you learned before, right. Uh, that we don't remember now with everything that we know now, like combining those two, I, I, my brain, my head is going to explode. <laughs> like, like I feel like it's going to be just a crazy combination, kind of like that sweet and that sour, like this is the sour. <laughs> And that what's behind the veil is the sweet. <laughs> yeah, and then that's comes- that's that's what that's what I'm thinking. It's got to be something like that. But yeah, man. Be, be, yeah, I mean, this is this has been a good good conversation. I mean, gratitude is actually it's pretty funny that you were actually thinking about that because, uh, like I said, something I'm working on. But it's been really hard for me. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's hard for me too. Like just yesterday, I was like. I was swearing at my my computer because it wasn't working and I was trying to to do some assignment because I just I just have it as an assumption that like this is going to work and the other day it do- it wasn't and it just I don't know I mean like 
I'm not a saint. I just, I've been thinking about like, you know, in those moments, like it's so important for me to just, you know, obviously I still need to fix it and I still need to get it to work, but it's, uh, there's no reason why I have to let it make me miserable. I can choose how I want to feel about it. As a human, I should be living like a caveman and eating crickets, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not. And isn't that amazing? You know? And yeah, it's, no, it's, it's so, I feel like I, I enjoy the things I enjoy so much more when I have that attitude. Yeah, no, something that my wife always tells me, and I don't know if we can use it. Uh, you can, you, if you want, you can, but she always tells me to think about where would I be? Um, like just to think about where I was before and where I am now, just kind of comparing like, you know, where I was 10, 10 years ago compared to where I am now and use that as like, how far you've progressed, how much you've grown, what have you done, what have you changed, what has, uh, what have you learned? Like just kind of taking that time to reflect back and just kind of actually, instead of complaining, like for example, me and my wife are renting um, half a house and mm-hmm. my wife and I hate it because it's really, really, really tacky and they have wallpapers all over the place. We can't do any type of decoration because nothing goes with the, with the cut the colors that they've chosen, they got some really ugly curtains. Just the whole layout is just really funky. They, the freaking kitchen is pink. The counters and, and all that is like dark brown. Anyways, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but I kind of am. Um, it's still a place. We still have a roof over our heads. And hey, we live in the freaking house. Something that our parents have never achieved to 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 get. They never they they never they never up to this point like to this day they don't see themselves living in a house. They can't afford a house because it's too expensive. And so like my wife just thinks tells me like think about it. You know, you ten years ago where were you living with your mom? Now look at you. You're living in a house in an, in a city in a neighborhood or I don't know in a county. Okay, where the average income is two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. I live in a neighborhood, dude, where the average income of these people is $260,000. That's a crap ton of money. That's a uh-huh. lot of money. And I'm just blown away. I'm just like, you know, and that's true. Like, I live in a really nice neighborhood. Um, don't have the friendliest of neighbors, but I don't really care about them because I'm here and I'm just happy to be here with my wife. We have a home to ourselves. We have our own personal space, something that we didn't have when we were 10 years ago. We never had our personal space. Even in college, when, when we were sharing our rooms, like we never had our personal, actual personal space. I mean, there's so many things that my wife helps me or reminds me like to be grateful for. So, I mean, I guess you can take that as well and apply it like, hey, what do you have now that you didn't have before? I mean, you have your family, you have your kids, um, you have your own place, like, were you something that you didn't have 10 years ago or something that you wouldn't have if you didn't make this decision? You know what I'm saying? Um, so she's, she's been kind of using that tactic to kind of get me to be more grateful. And it, it, it helps um, just to see my progress and see how far I've, I've come. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Bury the Hatchet. I hope you've learned something today to help you better understand the people in your life, especially those you disagree with. 
For suggestions or questions about the show, shoot me an email at podcastburythehatchet at gmail.com. Again, that's podcastburythehatchet at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time.